Welcome, and thank you for joining us in today's teaching as we continue our study through the book of Revelation. Here is Pastor Greg. Revelation chapter 6, verse 3 to 17, we're actually going to finish this, uh, this chapter this morning. Now, chapter 6 of Revelation actually just deals with this first outpouring of judgments that are going to be coming. You can see right here on this timeline these six seal judgments here. You can see number seven over here and how I shared with you that the seventh seal is when that is opened up, it's going to bring in the seven trumpet judgments. And when the seventh trumpet is blasted, the seven bowl judgments are going to come forth from that in sequence. You can see... Uh, on this top line here, the rapture of the church, when the church is removed. You see this preparation time that is going to happen between the rapture and the covenant that is going to be made by the Antichrist, which is really the key marker of when the 70th week of Daniel begins, according to Daniel 9.27. Then this first three-and-a-half-year period that you see from here to here, the first half of the tribulation under protection, it only says that because it's going to be really, in a sense, though there's a lot going on and the judgments are being unleashed upon this earth, in a way, it's still going to be a time of deception and a time of peace of sorts that this world is going to falsely be deceived into believing. When the Antichrist sets up his image here at this covenant that's broken. In the middle of the tribulation period, after that, the persecution, the last three and a half years referred to in Scripture as the Great Tribulation, is then going to be poured out where we're going to see these next sets of judgments that are going to take place, and it's all going to culminate here at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so that's the outline, really, or the timeline that we're following. At this point, uh, where we're at in Revelation chapter 6, uh, the church is already gone. The church age has ended. Remember, the church age started on the day of Pentecost, and we're still in the church age now. So we have a period of 2,000 years plus that have transpired already that we call the church age. We're living in that currently, right now. At this point of Revelation chapter 6, the church has been removed. We're no longer here on earth. We're in heaven. And then the seal judgments begin to come forth. I shared last week that this first seal, uh, really, uh, that is the first of the four horsemen is the white horse that is going to come on the scene. And I explained that I believe that this white horse is a picture of the Antichrist that is going to be coming into this world. Now, this time of preparation here is important to know because I believe that it's real possible that 
if we're real close to the rapture of the church, which we should be living that way, that the Antichrist is alive now, alive and well in our day. Remember, he is a man. He's a human being that at some point is going to be possessed by Satan himself. But he is alive and possibly alive and well now. But we have to remember that the rapture of the church in this time of preparation right here, we don't know how long of a period that's going to be. That could be a, a, a week. It could be a month. It could be a number of months. I, I probably lean towards a few months for no reason other than it seems to make more sense. But there's going to be this time be after the rapture until the Antichrist makes that covenant. So a lot of times people think in their mind, the rapture happens, the seven-year tribulation begins the next day. Not necessarily so. We're going to have, I believe, a period of time. That's why the rapture could happen. The Lord could come as a thief in the night today. The church could be gone. And then there's going to be this period of time that the Antichrist is preparing for that time that he is going to make that covenant, which according to Daniel 9.27 is what's going to be start the time clock of the 70th week of Daniel or that seven-year period of time. So it's important to, to kind of fix these time frames in your mind. We know that there are a lot of people, maybe you've been one of them, that has tried to figure out who this Antichrist is. Don't do it. Don't try and figure it out. If God wanted us to know who it was, he would have told us. You know, if you actually go in and you Google this, uh, and you put in there, picture of the Antichrist. Who do you think comes up? Currently, <laughs> President Obama, right? If you, uh, if you would have Googled that seven years ago, it would have been President Bush. People say it's Nero. People say it's a resurrected Judas Iscariot. People have all these kind of ideas of who they think the Antichrist might be. They try to add up the number, 666, because it's the number of a man. And they, they get into, well, his name is, and his name is. Just don't do it. Just know that he's coming, and know that he is going to be a deceiver. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8, he says, And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed, speaking about the Antichrist, in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, and that he is capitalized here because it's reference to the Holy Spirit, only he, the Holy Spirit in the church, who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And I believe, and as I've shared already, that I believe that's the Holy Spirit living inside of you, the church that is being removed. When the church is removed, then Paul says in verse 8, then the lawless one will be revealed. Then he'll be revealed. Not until the church is removed. Until we're gone. So don't get on a hunt to figure out who the Antichrist will already be gone. We'll know from heaven who that person is at that time. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 24, and you're going to hear as I go through Revelation 6 here, 
you're going to hear me referencing back to Matthew 24 because Matthew 24 is a parallel chapter to Revelation chapter 6. This is what it says. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying that I am the Christ, and will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. That's what Jesus said of this man of sin, this lawless one that will arise. This lawless one or this antichrist that I'm going to refer to him as, we're told and we learned last week that when he comes on the scene, he comes conquering to conquer. He has that bow with no arrow. In other words, there's really no bloodshed involved. He simply is coming with the ability to be able to deceive and really to be victorious in his conquering, really not through literal war. In the beginning, he's going to be this man of peace. He's going to come on the scene with charisma. And there's going to be many, we're told, that are going to buy into the lie. They're going to buy into his deception. And so that is the white horse coming onto the scene. The second seal that we are in this morning now, which is referred to as the fiery red horse. These are the four horses of the apocalypse, as it's been referred to. Uh, this red horse, I believe, symbolizes war. It symbolizes also bloodshed, even in its color. In Revelation chapter 6, look in your Bibles. Revelation 6, verse 3. We read, When Jesus opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. One thing that I want us all to notice is that in verse 4, we're told that it was granted to the rider to take peace. And then uh, he, to take peace from the earth, but that it was also given to him a great sword. Well, what does that tell me? That tells me that the Antichrist is not the one dictating or the evil forces of this world, demonic, demonic forces are not the one dictating this. This is being orchestrated by God. God is the one who grants the one who sits on this horse to take peace from the earth. God's allowing it. God's putting it into place. And that people would kill one another and to him was given a great sword. This is being, uh, really, these judgments are all really being, as I've shared in the past, these are orchestrated by God. It's a time of God's wrath against this world that has rejected him. It's a time for God to deal with the nation Israel that is still today living in disbelief that he's the Messiah. But God is faithful. God is gracious. God is merciful towards his people and towards all people. And that he's not willing that any should perish. And we're going to see 
even through our study this morning, that there's going to be thousands, if not millions, that will still be saved even during this time of outpouring of God's wrath. What started with peace in the beginning of the tribulation with the Antichrist making this peace agreement or this, uh, this, this peace with Israel uh, is now going to take a turn. This time of peace now is going to turn into a time of war. It's going to turn into a time of bloodshed. Now this Greek word for this word sword here is machera. And it's used really in scripture of a small sword or a dagger, 16 to 18 inches long. It's what the soldiers would have used when they were out in battle. But here, it's added onto onto this that it was given a great sword or a large sword. And so what we see here really is not so much of a soldier going out to battle as it is an executioner going out with this broadsword, this big sword, and creating bloodshed is what we see. He is the rider, we could say, of war and death. Now, next week, we're going to step away once again from the book of Revelation, and we're going to go into Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Most of us have heard of this term before, the war of Gog and Magog. And some people have asked, when does that take place? Some people have thought the war of Magog, Gog and Magog happens, and it's the same war that happens at the end of the tribulation period. I believe they're two different wars. I believe that what we're going to see is that this war is going to happen in the beginning of the tribulation period, and we'll see the differences between that war and the war that is going to happen at the second advent of Jesus Christ when he comes back. Before the tribulation begins, uh, and in the beginning of the tribulation, we know that the Antichrist is going to bring pseudo-peace. He's going to bring great deception upon this world. He's going to bring about, in a sense, a false security in the minds of some people. But then there's going to come this appointed time that God knows where that second horseman, the fiery red horse, is going to be let loose. This appointed time is going to open the second seal, and this red horse rider is going to come upon this earth and take away the peace that this world thinks that they're in the middle of. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, so that you are, uh, see that you are not troubled, for all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. I believe in the beginning of the tribulation, let's say just within the first three and a half years of the tribulation, that there is going to be this war of Gog and Magog. There is going to be nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom, which speaks really on the scale of like a world war. This is not just a little skirmish that's happening over in the Middle East, but really 
an all-out war, and we're going to see that in more detail next week. There's really, as we look through the book of Revelation, we're going to see really that there's three wars that are going to transpire over this course of seven years. The first one, I believe, is going to be Ezekiel 38 and 39, the war of Gog and Magog. There's also going to be a war that's going to erupt when the Antichrist comes and set up, sets his image up in the temple in the middle of the tribulation, and he goes out and makes war against the saints. And he's going to come up against God's people to try and wipe them out. There's going to be a war during that time. It's actually during that time that the Antichrist is going to also receive a mortal wound, possibly in that battle. Some way he is going to die and be raised back again after three and a half days. The third war will be at the end of the tribulation period when Jesus Christ comes back at his second advent and really with the sword out of his mouth destroys those who are against his people Israel. But let me ask you, what are and what is the effects of war? Well, we know that the number one effect of war really is death. People die in war. But we also know that war and major wars and world wars can bring on really scarcity, famine. It can bring shortages really in our world as we have seen even in a limited time in our time, in our life. But keep in mind that we're still really just in the beginning of sorrows. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. We're talking about a major war transpiring here, death bloodshed, scarcity. And we're still, according to Jesus, just in the beginning of sorrows, the birth pains that are going to lead up to what is going to even increase and get worse and worse and worse in the second half of the tribulation period called the, the, the great wrath of God or the wrath of the, uh, and the tribulation wrath at the end. Now we come to the third seal in Revelation chapter 6, verse 5. The verse 5 now brings in the black horse. The black horse really is that symbol of famine. And, and you can see how these sequences of these four horses, how they just one right after the other. The next is famine. Let's read verse 5. When he had opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse... And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not hurt the oil and the wine. Not only will there be death from war, but there's also going to be unprecedented death that's going to follow through famine. At this point, we're still in the first half of the tribulation period. Here's a verse in the Old Testament that really describes this time or this place of famine. Lamenta Lamentations chapter 4, verse 8. This is how it reads. It's very descriptive of this. It says, now their appearance, he's speaking about those that are in starvation. Now their appearance is blacker than soot. 
They go unrecognized in the streets. Their skin clings to their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. For these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. Starvation is a real, I mean, it's in our world now. We just don't see it except on TV for the most part. But there is great amount of famine even in the world today. But when this black horse comes on the scene, I believe it's going to be unprecedented famine like this world has never seen. And you can see that the world population now is at 7 billion plus people currently. And you can see that by the year 2050, they estimate the world population to be 9.15 billion people in the world. It's multiplying quickly. One birth every eight seconds, one death every 12 seconds, the net gain of one person every 14 seconds. The population is growing. Things will become more scarce. Famine will increase. You can see the list of the most populous countries there at the bottom. China being at, now it's really closer to one and a half billion people that are in China today. Jesus says, going back to Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, there will be famines. We're told that in verse 6 of Revelation here, we're told that John heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures. Now this is the only one of these seal judgments that we read here where another voice is heard. It doesn't tell us who this voice is. It just simply says that there were, he heard this voice that was in the midst. And this voice that was in the midst says, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. It doesn't tell us who this other voice is, but it's very possible it could be God himself injecting into this one Horsemen, this black horse's famine, are really what's going to take place? When you think of scales, you know, you've seen the picture of the scales and how, and how they work. They're, they're used for measuring. They're used for weighing. They're used for commerce. They're used and, and have been used and are used in our world today really uh, in that way of, of measuring things out. And so what it appears that is going to be taking place and really under maybe even under the direction of the Antichrist that the world is going to be in such a state you've got to remember that after the rapture there's going to be plain chaos in this world. We don't even know what it'll do to the food sources in this world. We don't even know the state that really the world will really be in at that time. But I have to imagine it's not going to be good. It's not good now. Imagine when you have all the Christians gone and, 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 and the things that will take place even in the way of producing food and how there might come to that place where now it's going to have to be weighed out rationed, if you want to say, on what people can, 
get and how much they can get. I mean, we don't live in a country that's like that, so it's hard for us to imagine. But go to a third world country now where people are only able to go get rice and beans or get something else or have to eat the bugs off the ground to survive. I mean, what people will do to survive will be great. But we see that it says a quart of wheat for a denarius. A quart of wheat was one-eighth of a bushel back in John's day, and it was the daily allowance of a servant or a slave that it would cost him to, to, to eat. Barley was a cheaper food source in the day. And we read that three quarts of barley for a denarius. And so it's real possible that even during this time that what people live on might have to be not so good a quality of food. It won't necessarily be all the healthy products that we can run down to the store and buy from the health food store to keep ourselves in top shape. It'll just be more of a mindset of people surviving. It's really, you know, I, I think for us, this is one of the hard parts for Americans because we live in a country, we live in a, in a, in a, in a society here where we just run down to the market, we pick up whatever we want, we have all the resources we want, we eat till we're full, we can pick 20 different restaurants to go to. That is not like most of the world. And so when you look at the book of Revelation, you don't look at it just in light of what's happening here in America. You look at it in light of what is going to be going on universally over this whole world. Scarcity of food. A limited amount of food. But this is only the beginning. Uh, because we're going to see later on as we go through in further into the book of Revelation that the Antichrist is going to take control of the monetary system of this world. Uh, and at that point when he does that, which I believe is going to be more towards the middle or a little bit after the middle of the tribulation period, that people on this earth are not going to be able to buy or sell unless they have the mark on their forehead or on their right hand. They're not even going to be able to buy food. And so it's even going to get worse. We also read where John heard, do not harm the oil and the wine. Now, there's a lot of differences of opinions. This is another one of these areas that are kind of, which way do you go with it? Another translation reads it this way. Do not tamper with the oil and the wine. Some have thought and interpreted this that it's reference to the luxuries of the rich people. Uh, remember, you know, you can go to third world countries today and find people living in a palace and right next to their palace wall you'll see a shanty town with people living in cardboard boxes. And, that, and that's the way it is. The rich people sometimes don't get affected by famine and the things that are going on. But their day will come. And we'll see that even as we go further on into Revelation. Even for the rich, they won't be excluded. Some have thought that these reference of oil and wine had to do with medicinal, medicinal I can't even say that word, uh, purposes. You know what I'm talking about. And that these things are still, though, going to be in abundance and needful after war and famine. You pick whatever you want. Don't hurt the oil and the wine. 
by the middle of the tribulation period, in Revelation chapter 13, we're going we're to get to there, we're going to see that the Antichrist is going to now create and form a one-world government. Revelation chapter 13 says that there is going to come upon this world during the tribulation time a one-world government. We've already talked about that in the four men of the nations and the ten nations that are going to come up under the revived Roman Empire during the tribulation period. That is going to be headed up by the Antichrist himself, this new world leader. There's also going to be a one world religious system. Now I call it a system because the church is gone. We're removed, the true church. But there is going to be a religious system that is going to be here and the Antichrist is going to proclaim himself to be God in the middle of the tribulation and demand that he be worshipped as God. A one world religious system. There's also going to be a one world monetary system that Revelation 13 says, and the Antichrist is going to put a mark upon the forehead and the hand of those that will take that mark, and they won't be able to buy or sell. Whatever this monetary system is that is orchestrated under the Antichrist himself is going to be how he's able to control what people buy and sell, how they eat or don't eat. This is going to be the time in the tribulation period where it's going to be, this world is going to be under great distress. And especially if you try to make a stand for Jesus Christ. If you say, you know what, I'm not taking the mark. I refuse to take it. That chances are majority of those people are going to have to die for their faith. Mark Hitchcock, an author, wrote in his book called Cashless, he refers to this black horse as the black horse of financial collapse. Some people have thought, what's going to happen to the United States during this whole thing of the trade? You know, and I believe that, you know, as we are already seeing before our eyes now, financially, where will this country come to? Think of when the rapture takes place. Where will the United States be? Where will we be financially? Uh, if they say if the United, State to United States topples, financially the whole world topples. Because this is the financial kingpin, if you want to say, right now of the world. That and China and Japan, but, but, we are, but the United States. And this black horse coming out, who knows how it's going to come about. We don't know the details, but it could be even through a financial collapse. We see that this rider is carrying these balances in his hands, these, these scales. And I actually um, went on to the website and I keyed in uh, famine. And what's interesting is what came up under famine under the Wikipedia is uh, Wikipedia had a heading on their uh, bar there, famine scales. That's what they called it, the famine scales. Now, you can see here that I have the intensity of the scale is from zero to five, or he, they actually put together two parts to this. The combined intensity and the magnitude scales. Now, what's interesting is that, and, and it tells you who put this whole thing together, but you can see how it goes from zero to five. 
food secure, food insecure, food, you know, and so on, all the way down to extreme famine. Where are we at today? We're probably up, uh, probably in this part here, food insecure, food prices unstable, seasonal shortages, uh, you know, are somewhere in this area here. But when you, we get down here, or when this world gets down here, it's going to be unprecedented like this world has never seen. We also can see on their magnitude scale, this is right off their, their website, you can see how they have categorized the magnitude of famine and how that all plays. Catastrophic famine. They placed it at one million people and over. And so you can see that the world's gearing up for this, believe it or not. There are people that are in the throes of all the famine crises that are going around our world today that look at all this stuff and say, where are we going to be when our world reaches 9 billion people? If we can't do it now, where will we be then? What follows after famine, scarcity, war, and all those things? The fourth seal is then loosed. It's referred to as the pale horse or the green horse is really in the Greek is really what the word means, a green horse or a yellowish green or an ugly color that we might refer to as death itself because really that's what we're talking about here when this fourth seal or this fourth horseman is released that he comes on and that a quarter of the world's population is killed. Can you get your head around what's really taking place here? One quarter of the world population. Revelation chapter 6, verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked and behold a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. And death is what really is what claims the body, isn't it? When a person dies. Death claims this physical body. But what does Hades do? Well, Hades claims the soul. And it says that Hades is following after death, following in its path. As people are being killed, it's also their souls that are being going to go to Hades, going to go to that place that we, eventually they will be in hell. This rider is the result of the three horses that were before it. Death that is going to follow. The power, again, was given to this rider. God's allowing it. The power was given to this rider over a fourth of the earth. Do you know that right now, that as believer, as a Christian, that if God didn't have his hand upon your individual life, do you think that Satan would want to wipe you out even now? He'd take your life now. He'd kill you in a heartbeat. But God's hand of protection is upon you. That alone we should be rejoicing in and thanking the Lord. 
Because you know what? Satan can't hurt you. He can't hurt your life. He can't take your life. He can't touch you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When you consider that there's seven billion people in the world today and a quarter of the population is killed, that's over one and a half billion people. This is just in the first half of the tribulation period. If you want to put that into a perspective, as I showed you that list of all those 10 major countries, there's one and a half billion people in China today. That'd be like taking all of China and all of China's wiped out, gone. One and a half billion people, gone. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 7, there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. Now, the, he adds in Matthew, which we're not reading in Revelation 6 here, one of the signs before Christ returns would be pestilence. Now, pestilence could also be translated infectious diseases. Do you think we have any of those in the world today? We've got a real problem in our world today. We just live in uh, sometimes a little bit of, uh, uh, well, I don't know, we, we don't always, we're not really aware of what's going on. This is some of the things that I read. Fox News in September 16th of 2013 wrote an article about drug-resistant superbugs that were deemed urgent threats. This was put out by the Center for Disease Control. Antibiotic-resistant gonorrhea, a diarrhea-causing superbug, and a class of fast-growing killer bacteria dubbed the nightmare were classified as urgent public health threats in the United States on Monday. Also, according to the news report by the CDC, at least 2 million people in the United States developed serious bacterial infections that are resistant to one or more types of antibiotics each year, and at least 23,000 people died from these infections. This is just in the United States. For organisms after organisms, we're seeing this steady increase in resistance rates. Dr. Thomas Frieden, director of the CDC, said in a telephone interview, we don't have new drugs about to come out of the pipeline. And if, if and when we get these new drugs, unless we do a better job of protecting them, we'll lose those also. Pestilence will be one of the signs that Jesus said to his disciples 2,000 years ago that this world was going to be experiencing. Look for these signs because they will be signs before my second advent. We go on in verse 9 of chapter 6, the fifth seal. When he had opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Asking a question. 
Then we read in verse 10, or verse 11, then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. This fifth seal, now no longer the four horsemen, this is just the fifth seal that is being opened from that scroll, is really the martyrs that are going to be martyred during this first half of the tribulation period. John sees the souls of these people uh, standing or under this altar, which I believe is really a picture of the lives of the people that are going to give their life to Christ during the first half of this tribulation period. They're going to give their life to Christ and they're going to be seen as under the altar of God. Isn't it amazing how God is able to change a heart? They rejected and rejected and said, no, and I don't believe it, and that's a bunch of baloney. And then the rapture takes place. They find themselves in the middle or in the, in the, in the beginning of this tribulation period. The four horsemen have already been unleashed upon this earth. And I believe that people's attentions are starting to... God's getting it. They're getting, he's getting their attention. And there are people that are starting to turn and to come to Christ. But what we see here is that they're going to have to die for their faith. How much easier is it for us to come to church here on Sunday and, you know, we come to church and enjoy being a Christian and no one's really persecuting as much? Can you imagine what it'll be like being a Christian then? No other Christian around and you have to just simply trust your life into the very hands of God in a way like the church here doesn't much have to. We also see that they are being killed for the same reason that the Apostle John, in the beginning of this letter, we're told that the Apostle John himself was exiled to the island of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The same thing that these believers now are having to experience death for because they made a stand for Jesus Christ. Something that we're all called to do here and now. Make a stand for the Lord. Whatever the cost, because people's lives are at stake. Some people might ask, how is this a judgment against mankind? People being martyred for their faith. I think that this judgment that is coming against the world is going to be seen in the cries of these martyrs. As they're crying out, and what are they crying out? They're crying out, you judge, you avenge their blood, is what their cries are. You avenge the ones that are killing us. These are the cries of the martyr and the judgment that they're trusting that God is going to bring upon them. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, that God says this, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Romans 12, 19, Paul wrote this, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And these martyred saints during the tribulation time 
are crying out for the vengeance of God against those who have shed their blood. It's interesting that they've been martyred and they have their conscience to be crying out. Their soul is still alive. Their body has been killed. Their soul is still alive. And they're crying out. And that crying out is that judgment against this world. We're told that they were given white robes, which is a symbol of the righteousness of God that is given to our account even now. You have been clothed in white because of his righteousness. They also will be clothed in white robes. Jesus said to the church in Sardis in Revelation 3.5, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. You know what? God is so merciful, so patient, so forgiving, so loving that he is not willing that any should perish. And his mercy and his grace is still being poured out upon this earth during this time. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 9, that they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you shall be hated by all nations for my name's sake. One of the signs that Jesus said. The sixth and the last seal in this chapter is Revelation 6, verse 12. Look at it. I looked, and he opened the sixth seal. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place." That should make anyone tremble. That should bring the fear to anyone. I believe at this point of this sixth seal, we're probably drawing close to the middle of the tribulation period. And, there, and it's during this time that there is going to be this great earthquake that is going to really alter some of the things going on in our atmosphere and planet and things that are here. An earthquake that this world has never seen before. Those of us that are from California, and there's a number of us here that have gone through a few earthquakes, have never experienced an earthquake like what's going to take place in this time. We've read and, and seen some of the various earthquakes around the world I looked up some of the 10 greatest earthquakes, one of them that uh, happened in Hong, uh, Hongdong, China back in 1303 on September 17, 200,000 people were killed. Another one that happened in Indonesia, December 26, 2004, 230,000 people. Another one that happened December 16, 1920, in also in China, 273,000 people. One that happened in China, July 28, 1976, 650,000 people. One that happened in China, China gets it, happened in China January 23, 
1556, it's estimated that 830,000 people died from one earthquake. Can you imagine that when God shakes, and remember that we're not talking about Southern California with earthquakes. We're talking about the whole world. We're talking about the ring of fire and all the volcanoes and all the things that are around this earth. That this earth is going to be shaken at its very core to the point that every mountain and island is moved and shaken out of its place. They say that that last earthquake that they had, uh, one of them, that it actually took and moved the earth off its axis by a little bit. Can you imagine what it'll be like when this earth is shaken to that degree? And the fear that's going to grip. I've seen people get shaken in their boots with a four-pointer. And they're trembling over this earthquake and they're afraid that the next one's going to hit. Let alone one that's an eight or a nine or whatever this might be. This won't be the last either. We read in Revelation chapter 8, verse 5. It reads that... It says, Then the angel took the censer and he filled it with fire from the altar and he threw it to the earth and there were noises, thunders, lightnings, and an earthquake. Revelation 11, verse 13 speaks about another earthquake that is going to come in the second half of the tribulation period. And it says, in that same hour, there was a great earthquake and the tenth and a tenth of the city fell in the earthquake. 7,000 people were killed. Revelation chapter 11. Specifically, it tells us how many. But we're also told that the sun is going to be blackened, which there's a lot of people that give interpretations of some of the things that are happening uh, here in the skies and in the and around our world. But I think it's real possible that if you've ever seen how a volcano, because usually what's accompanied with earthquakes is volcanoes, and if you see volcanoes going up and the ash going up, and it, and it can almost immediately, with the burst of that, blacken out the sky, so that it it really just blackens everything. It can happen with those earthquakes. We could also, it also speaks about like the sky disappearing like a scroll. And that might even just be speaking about the suddenness of how it, the sky is obscured as it turns black, as, the, as it just rolls over the sky and all of a sudden the whole sky is blackened through it. The reference to the stars uh, falling uh, from heaven. Some have thought maybe meteorites or something that being ejected from these volcanoes. We don't know exactly what John saw, but I, I don't believe it's probably literally all the stars from heaven falling upon the earth because if it did, probably the whole earth would be gone in a moment for once. So it's probably tied to whatever catastrophic, of a, uh, catastrophic events that are going to be taking place with this great earthquake. But then look what it says. And this is why I believe, you know what, this is a time of the shaking of man. This is what it says. Look at your Bibles, verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, 
The commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. What's interesting is is that at this point in the tribulation period, God's got their attention. Now they're acknowledging, you know what? I think this must be the hand of God. I mean, we've never seen anything like it. And what's interesting to me is that these people are now, and this is the rich people also, these rich people, these kings, these all these various places of status of people in this world are crying out. They're not saying, Lord, I repent. Save me. They're saying, calling for the rocks to fall on them and hide them from the face of him who sits on the throne. You know, unless God draws a person by his Holy Spirit, do you know that they'll never be saved? Unless God draws a person by his Holy Spirit, they won't be saved. God's the one that saves, and it's his Holy Spirit that draws a person. And if God removes his hand from these people... Because of their rejection and their hard hearts and their rebellion, and they're just saying, hide us from the face. It's not cries of repentance. It's cries, I believe, of agony and fear and just wipe us out, kill us, hide us from the face. What's interesting is he goes through this whole list. He's basically telling us that no one is going to escape whether you're just a pauper, whether you're a rich man, no one is going to escape. Luke 21.11, a parallel to, to Revelation 6, says there, there will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Fearful sights, great signs from heaven. Luke 21:26 says that men's hearts will fail them for fear in the expectation of those things which are coming upon the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. I'm glad I'm not going to be here. We're reading about something that will take place. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's your rejoicing. We're not appointed to wrath, but to salvation. Next week, as I already shared, we're going to step away from Revelation. We'll look at Ezekiel 38 and 39. And I I think this will be an important one for us to see because it's real possible. Some people have thought that the war of Gog and Magog that could even happen before the rapture. I'm going to tell you right off, that because I've been looking at this already, that I'm leaning probably more towards it. It's probably going to happen right after the rapture of the church, sometime shortly in the beginning of the tribulation period. But as you see the nations of this world, and you'll, we'll go, we're going to go over the nations that are going to come up really against Israel. When you see what's going on in our world today, it's prophecy before your eyes. That's what we're going to see next week because we're going to see how these nations that are lining up, this is all what God had predicted. 
2,000 years ago, he said, this is what you're going to be looking for. You can see it. All you need to do is pick up your, you know, look at the news, look, find these things out, and you'll see that we see prophecy being fulfilled before our eyes. Father, I, I thank you for today. Lord, I know for me personally, Lord, when I, when I read these things and I'm reminded of these things, it stirs my heart to want to even be more vocal about my faith. It challenges me, Lord, as to whether or not I say that I even believe it. It challenges my faith. But, Lord, I do believe. And I know, Lord, that these things will come to pass, even though we may not have all the details, Lord, what we've read even just this morning in chapter 6 should bring in awe. Should cause us, Lord, to just be burdened for those we love. Lord, because we don't want to see them enter into this time. Lord, give us boldness this week. Give us opportunity. Use us, Lord. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.